and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, I want to do something special. To commemorate six months, yes, six months of the Start Right Here podcast, I want to share some of the amazing gems my guests have dropped over these last six months. These gems have stayed with me. And today we're going to focus on the ones that relate to approaching your career in a corporate environment. No matter where you are in your career, be it a college student getting ready to graduate or exploring the industry early to mid-career or in a senior level, some of these perspectives can help you where you are right now and in the future. And it'll help you see things in a different light when it comes to your career. So let's take a look. Let's start with embracing an opportunity. Melanie Moore, who's the Associate Chair of the Business and Beauty and Fragrance Program at SCAD, talked about how a street game had her look at opportunity differently. That's number one. So you've worked across fashion, liquor, spirits, toys. What are the similarities and differences between these industries and beauty and the kind of work you've done? They seem so different. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, how do I get into this industry? And I always tell people, you shouldn't look at it as an industry. You should look at it as a function and the skill set that you bring to a brand or to a company. And as a marketer, you know, I realized early on that really only 50% of what you're selling is a product. That's only half of it. And I have a small little story because I remember when I first moved to New York, you know, I came from Florida and this was like the big city. I'm walking down in Times Square. I remember seeing this homeless guy and he has this box with a hole and uh, with an arrow pointing out and it says $1 to look in the hole. And crowd was starting to form. And I'm so curious, like, what is in this box? And I paid the dollar clearly, but it was then (laughs) that it clicked to me that he created a need and sold me a solution to my curiosity. And so what does that mean when I'm selling toys? What does that mean when I'm selling spirits? What does that mean when I'm selling a face cream? And it's all very similar. So I would say with toys, that was probably a little bit more challenging because you're kind of marketing to a child, but the parent is the purchaser. So there is a little bit of complexity there, but it was just so much fun. But overall, I think that you can apply those skills kind of across industries. So it is a matter of identifying a need. Or creating it. Or creating it. Interesting. And offering a solution or creating a solution. Absolutely. Yukashia Nuno, Executive Director of Global Packaging, Innovation Strategy, and Portfolio Management at the Estee Lauder Companies, explains how she got her first opportunity because the person interviewing her saw her skills as transferable. While Courtney Pope used her social media and influencing marketing background to transfer from working in the fashion industry to working in beauty. I said packaging, that's interesting. Didn't know too much about it other than that we did have a major program at school for it. And what would I be doing, boxes all day? And she was like, no, you work on um, Sally Hansen, which I was loving, and New York Color and all these other brands. And she said, 
she chose me for consideration because she liked that I didn't have a packaging degree, which I thought was interesting. It was more that I had a transferable technical skill set, and she valued that diversity of thought in that field because she had a whole bunch of packaging people already. So she wanted to mix it up. And she also said, you know what? Try it for a year. If you don't like it, you're more than welcome to go to the plant. And packaging, by the way, sits in Uniondale at corporate headquarters. So I never had to even work in a plant, which was so exciting. So I took it. And honestly, almost 20 years later, I never looked back. That's really interesting. I love that she talked about transferable skills because often we don't think about the skills that we have that could work in other areas. So you learned early that you had transferable skills with that industrial engineering background. What did you learn in that first job that set you up for the success that you've had in your career? I would say there were maybe two things that I would say which most resonate with me with that first job. One, the ability to wear multiple hats. Dell Labs at the time, before it got acquired by Cody, it was a small engine. You know, you imagine all the products in the business that they were doing, but when you're at a small company, you are the packaging person, you can be the purchasing person, you can be the quality person, all these different supply chain operational person. I did first buys. I was working on the displays that you saw in CVS, the planograms working with creative. Being in a small company, you're working closer with team members and five of you can sit at the table and a decision can be made. And that's what I learned the most about is learning about other people's roles and understanding how they work. The other thing I would say is the importance of relationships. I still connect with people from my first job to this day. It's almost like that training ground because you're doing so much, you learn so much from each other and you get to know each other. And those relationships carry on throughout this industry. I always say that this industry is like Cheers, the TV show. Everybody knows your name, whether it's directly or indirectly. So it's really important to maintain those relationships throughout the years because they do open doors for you. You have to connect with people and you have to, you know, do your research. And so I had been saying for probably a little over a year, I think I'm ready to make that pivot into beauty. I hadn't applied anywhere but I could just feel it like, mm, I think it's time to like move on from this. I loved Eloquy, but I was super hungry about beauty now. And the thing about beauty too is it's also extremely, extremely competitive. And it's really tough to get your foot in the door if you don't have any beauty experience prior to stepping into beauty. But what I did realize is that I had some really strong skills in social that are basically interchangeable with any industry that you go into. And I knew that pivoting into beauty, doing something that I was already doing in fashion would probably be my best bet just to get my foot in the door with beauty. And it's funny how it all ended up coming full circle because during my time at Eloquy, we had gone to Essence Fest and we did like this pop-up activation in New Orleans and I got to meet some incredible women. And there was this one woman that I connected with immediately. Her name was Cecilia. And we just connected. She was so nice. She was obsessed with the brand, super stylish, very much had like that cool auntie kind of vibe. 
And she and I just connected. We just clicked. And she just like latched onto me and was like, what do you do for Eloquine? And I'm telling her like, oh, I work in marketing and social. And she was like, oh, we should talk. And I was just like, okay, again, I just thought this was a nice woman. Had no idea like who she was or anything like that. And then it wasn't until later on, once I got home and like did some digging, she was actually worked at L'Oreal, um, but she worked in their diversity and inclusion. But still, like she was just an incredible like connection to have to like ask questions and get a better understanding of L'Oreal. And we connected, hit it off again, like didn't ask her for anything but we just had this like natural bond and on the back end on the inside Eloquy was starting to take meetings with I believe it was the Carol's daughter team at the time to figure out how they could do another collaboration together because they had done one before in the past I believe in like uh, 2012 or something like that and that went really well with that so all these things are happening and L'Oreal is starting to pop up naturally into my life coming naturally into my life as I'm sitting here like at home manifesting this beauty career journey thing and so I remember I was literally sitting at home like mind you again I want to say I did not apply to anything I hadn't applied to any jobs had I saved hella jobs on LinkedIn like oh this sounds interesting this absolutely but I hadn't applied to anything I'm home I'm sitting on the couch I'm talking to my roommate because we're coming up on the new year and we're talking about vision boards and manifestation and everything like that. And I was talking about how this time around, I want to be super intentional with my vision board. I had L'Oreal on my vision board from last year. And by chance, I've been finding these connections with L'Oreal. This time I want to be super clear about what it is that I want when it comes to beauty, because I'm going to put L'Oreal on my vision board again. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. We're talking to that. I have my laptop open, refresh my emails right at the top of my inbox. Digital marketing opportunity with L'Oreal. And I was like, is this a joke? So I stopped talking. My roommate is still, I've tuned her after this point because I'm literally like, what is happening? Click open the email. It's a recruiter with L'Oreal who has found my profile on LinkedIn, loves my experience and thinks I would be a good fit for new position that has recently opened up. Jobs are not a destination. And that's another key gem from Melanie Moore at SCAD. And that's a word about chasing the title and rising the ranks. Sometimes you can advance your career just as effectively by making a lateral move. Think about it. The second thing I would say, once you are in your career, remember that Jobs are not destinations, and it is truly a journey. Don't let money drive your decision, or you will be led into a dead end. And I think, you know, people who have that in their head, like, I need to be a millionaire before I'm 40, that type of thing, you'll find yourself in a very awkward situation professionally. I think that there are times where we have to take horizontal moves just to, again, fill our tool pack and then get the skills necessary to be great at that higher level. So just be open to exploring new things and new opportunities. I love that tip about being open to the horizontal move because we don't hear that enough. And often if you get a lateral move opportunity, you're thinking that it's somehow less than where it could offer, as you're saying, more skills 
for your toolkit and actually open up your world in lots of other ways to prepare you for the next thing. Everything is preparation. Absolutely. It is preparation. And I'll give you an example in my career at Lauder. I was in global marketing for quite a while at the manager level. And instead of being promoted up, I was given an opportunity to spend a month in Asia, you know, which to me, if you look at it from a salary perspective, the investment of the company uh, to give me that education versus how much they would have paid me for the promotion, it can mean more. And they can never take away that experience, never take away that education. So I think being open to other opportunities is important. Next, you need to choose your positions wisely. Doreen Morris of Undefined Beauty talks about how it is better to align yourself with the people instead of a position and how this point of view informed her decision to pursue a job at Kendo Beauty prior to her becoming an entrepreneur. And when you make decisions like that, you have the opportunity to build relationships that will benefit your career in the long term. And that's a tip from Marty Moore. But luckily, I left Minneapolis before the big polar vortex, I think the next year. So I bit that bullet, which is nice. So Kendo Opportunity came into my lap. It was working on a category nail polish, which was at that point really hot. I flew out to California for the interview, and there was two different roles that I was applying for. Um, One was on the nail polish brand that I mentioned, and then the other was for Marc Jacobs Beauty, which hadn't launched yet. I remember meeting the VP of the nail polish brand, and we instantly hit it off. It was like we were old friends. I knew that I could learn from her. She also had a good balance of left brain, right brain, and had worked at Sephora for a while. So she understands kind of how to, how to run a business. And although the nail polish category less sexy than Marc Jacobs, I knew that I wanted to align myself with her because I knew that she would actually teach me. So I took that job and it was probably the most important decision within my career that I've made that has helped me really understand the beauty category. Kristen Walcott was her name. I still adore her. She's uh, now the president of Kendo. She oversees all the brands. And so when I was there, it was literally me and her in the trenches, roll up your sleeves, you know, get shit done. But I learned so much from her. And I think that's actually one piece of advice that I would give is that align yourself with people because that's who will make or break your career. So the people piece is super important. Less so than the product, I would actually say. It's so important to maintain relationships in this business. It's so important, yet it can be challenging sometimes, you know, because you start doing your thing and you kind of lose touch with people. But through my career, there are certain people that I've always, you know, kept in touch with and they've supported me. And Barbara Zimmore was one of those people. Bob Chavez is one of those people. So My learning from that is keep people close. And maintain true relationships so that if you need them, it's not that you're calling out of the blue. I need you. Right. (laughs) I need you right now. I need you right now. Get me out of here. It's a matter of urgency. (laughs) Yeah. It's important to keep in touch. I mean, Barbara and I still get together. We haven't since COVID, but um, we still get together for like a holiday cocktail or lunch. So yeah, it's important. Yeah, I'm in touch with people I've known throughout my career, like from day one. And I think that it really is important to maintain those relationships. Work where you thrive. Bigger is not always better. So you have to 
decide whether you will thrive in a large organization or a small organization. And it depends on how you like to work. Sometimes there these opportunities in large organizations silo you, whereas smaller organizations, you may have an opportunity to have your hand in lots of different pots. But Courtney Pope and Dorian Morris explain there's some other things to consider about large organizations. There's also a difference between working at a, a startup culture and a legacy corporate. Right. Yes. That was the other part of it too. It, it's so huge and it's and if you let it, it is very easy to allow yourself to feel small. And that's the one thing I would say to anybody, and this is just me from my own personal experience, is you have to find a way to hold on to that strong kick-ass, confident person you were when you walked in the door for that interview and continue to cultivate and build up that person when you step into a huge corporation such as one of L'Oreal. Because it's so easy to get swallowed up in how large this company is and everybody is a star, you know, in that sense. And you start to doubt yourself and question how you got there. And imposter syndrome is hella real. And if you don't nip it in the bud quickly, it will hinder you at larger companies. It will, it absolutely will. So you have to find a way to push and work through those sorts of things for the sake of your career development and your growth. When you pivot from a small, nimble startup into a huge legacy corporation where offices are spread out across the globe and headcount is astronomical. <laughs> you have to for the sake of wanting to like stay in the game. That's really important. That in some ways is an unsung skill to realize that you got to remember yourself. So that, that's better than the skill. That's kind of like, you know, something that you have to just like, you have it in your toolbox and it is something that you have to activate like know thyself and believe in thyself at all times. The chapter of Cover Girl that I joined um, was an exciting proposition. So Cody had acquired it from P&G. Uh, the plan was to make it more relevant, fresh, inclusive in terms of thinking through some of the cover girls they were using. And it was this beautiful opportunity to work for a Black woman who we actually crossed paths at General Mills. So Konwa was a brand manager when I started as an AMM at General Mills, and then she left and did beautiful things in her career and then joined the CoverGirl team. I think she might have like posted it on LinkedIn or something. And I was like, huh, this could be interesting. And it was basically the complete antithesis of what I was doing at both Sundial and Kendo. It was these big teams, big budgets. I want to say my marketing budget was like $180 million. And I had probably a hundred agency partners. And so for me, I just felt that where I thrive is in environments where I can be scrappy. And I felt that this was kind of like squeezing the life out of my soul. If I'm going to be honest, did not like it. It was a very quick stint for me. It was the first time I've actually quit a job. You know what? Honestly, if I'm being very transparent, 
there was a lot of personal things that happened as well that also triggered my grandma's sister. So my great aunt, she passed away and I couldn't leave to go to her funeral because there was things that I had to do from a work standpoint, which gave me pause. It was like, why am I doing this? Am I happy? Life is too short. And so I was like, you know what? The answer is no, I'm not happy. So I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. So <laughs> I kind of took that leap without knowing what was going to happen next. But I like to say that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes you think it's a dream and then it becomes a nightmare. And it's not that it's bad for everyone. It's just not right for you. No, I think this job was bad for everyone. <laughs> Literally, the team's all gone, 95% of them. So, Marty Mar also talks about going back to a job or a company that you've worked at previously. You should only do it if the circumstances are favorable. Marty had three different stints at Macy's, and she says it's not a cut and dry decision whether you go back to a company. You still need to do your due diligence and remember why you left in the first place. But there were several that were that I knew. And my point of view is when you're going to decide to make a change and you're deciding to go back to a company that you worked for previously, first you have to ask yourself why you're going back and why you left in the first place. There's a certain amount of self-reflection that needs to happen because there was a reason you left. And in many cases... Those reasons that made you decide to make a change are still there because there's a DNA of a company. And I don't believe that companies change that drastically in terms of their core values, right? I think you have to be aware of any changes that have happened in management and any changes in the corporate culture because the corporate culture change when I was there the previous time. I also think it's very important, and this goes back to maintaining relationships, to reach out to people that you worked with that are still there. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. You know, to understand what it's like. And assuming you've maintained a relationship with those people, they will tell you honestly, this is a deal, Marty. A, B, and C has changed. X, Y, and Z is still the same, you know? So it's important to reach out to those people and also to people who have left the company, who left after you, to find out their perspective. I think when you really get down to it, it's about doing your homework about the company. And that's the case with anything that we do. We've got to really research it and do our homework and be informed. Would you say that some of the same things apply when you get a job opportunity elsewhere and you get a counter offer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because my experience has been that every time I resigned to go elsewhere, the company that I was with always counter offered. And they were always like, we don't want you to go stay. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. You know, for me personally, once I've made the decision, I've made the decision. And I have found that colleagues of mine who have resigned and have been counter offered and have decided to stay end up leaving anyway. I always say people don't leave the organization, they leave the people that they're working with, right? Yes. And so you have to take that into consideration when you're making a move or when they're counter-offering you. Getting hired is more than a job description. Tia Williams, who works on the content creation side in corporate beauty, shared that craft is more valuable than content. A perspective that she learned from her mentor, 
Gene Godfrey June. While India Drew Jackson, who also works in content creation, social media, e-commerce, explains that she is looking at how candidate not only fits the role she is filling, but future roles as well. As a copy director, you work with a team. So how do you identify top talent? What do you look for in somebody that's working on your team? I'm a writer's writer. And to me, it's the dream effect. It's still what is the most important thing to me. Someone else might tell you insane beauty knowledge, like knowing all your references. To me, the most important thing is being an amazing writer, because I feel like you can sell anything if you can write well. I mean, I look at sports writing and food writing sometimes for inspiration, because it's about the craft more than the content to me. Yeah, like when I was at Bumble and Bumble, the last hire I personally made at Bumble and Bumble was our digital writer, Olivia Batetti. And I was interviewing so many people and she came in and was whip smart. I gave her an edit test and she nailed the voice instantly. And her writing was so sharp and funny. And that was it for me. That's what really stood out because what Jean always told me was that with beauty writing, you want to sound like you're talking to your smartest, chicest friend. You want to sound conversational a bit. You want to get the information across and the beauty education across and the product information across, but sound like someone you would want to listen to. And she just did. And her voice just cut through the clutter. And I think to me that craft is more important than knowing everything about beauty because you can learn anything. That's true. That is definitely true. I will put up an ad or I'll work with an HR director to write out a job description. I'll put the ad together and get it published. And the resumes that come in, I look to make sure that they have the majority of the skills that we need. But it's also important for me to see what else they're interested in and what else they've done. Because I don't always hire for the job that I'm promoting or that I'm requesting an employee for. I'm also hiring for the future, what I think this team will need in the future. Case in point, when I got to Munich and I was working at that e-commerce site, I hired an editor from Kyrgyzstan. I can't pronounce it. It's really close to Russia, though. She was the editor of Cosmopolitan there. And their teams are super, super small. They're satellite teams. And she did all of the marketing, all of the social media, all of the design and the writing. And I was like, let me give this girl an offer ASAP. She came onto my copy team. And a year later, she moved over into the marketing team because she had those skills already. I was really proud that I was able to identify her talent, bring her on board and help her progress into a new area of life. Now she's not only an editor, she's also done marketing, and we still keep in touch. Uh, now she's working as a UX designer because she had the design skills as well. You know, never stop with just copy, especially now, because we're moving into a gig economy and you want to be able to pick up gigs everywhere. You want to be able to be a great writer. You want to be able to put together a fantastic layout. You want to be able to storyboard a video. Never just stop at one thing. Yakashi Anunya and Trinisa Stanford-Danusa, who is a integrated marketing and communication specialist, look at how potential candidates complement the existing teams that they have built and their willingness to go the extra mile. 
I think those people who come and say, you know, tell me more, or I'm interested in this, or even I'm interested in just doing something beyond the current role I'm in, whether it's volunteering, just taking a larger presence outside of your day-to-day, that to me stands out more than anything. I love the idea of a stretch assignment. Yeah, and I take them today too. So I love it. The biggest piece for me is having a team of people where you feel like there's a level of trust. I've always needed more so than even being the most talented, I needed to know that you were an honorable, trustworthy person because we're going to make mistakes together and we're going to rely on each other. If we have a job to do, I need to be able to turn my back and know that it's getting done and it's being done with excellence. And so that's a really important characteristic for me in building a team is knowing that, you know, there's a real understanding about sort of the collaborative spirit and the trust of the team. And it's probably more important to me as a Black boss because the world is the world. And so I had a different level of scrutiny of people that I added to my team because I am your Black boss. So if you've already sort of come to me with what I can sniff out as some bias or some issues or some, I don't know. Sorry, I had to factor that in. I'm like, I don't know if you're going to ultimately get down with the idea of having a Black woman telling you, yay, nay, no, go. And so if that's going to be an issue, then you certainly can't be on the team. And so that's probably that more underlying part of it. Of Are you sort of like an ally in the fact that you can see the opportunity of having a diverse work experience. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. And I would agree with that. And I think it's a combination of trusting your gut because you can read signs. Your antenna will alert you if there is just something that they could look good on paper, but if there's something great that you latch onto, but there's something that I'm not sure that this is the right person. When is the time to leave a job? Here's some insight from Tia Williams and Yakashi Anunya. So for me, it was interesting because after I graduated, it wasn't until like maybe uh, 10 years after working in packaging that I had that aha moment. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to spend the next 30 years just doing the same packaging. And it ties into, I wasn't feeling challenged anymore. And I think that's a flag number one. I took it upon myself to go back to business school and get my MBA because I wanted to learn the broader side of the business. And doing that just opened doors for me. And I understood that you want to be an asset to a company. When you're starting to become a liability and not in terms of making mistakes, but it's more about you come to the realization that your personal and your professional goals serve more as a liability than an asset to the company. And I think also, I would say the third thing, because I think it's a combination of the three, it's not any one, but when your beliefs are no longer in line with the company or the brand you're representing, that to me is uh, just the final flag that says, you know what, it's time to move. Because again, ties into now I'm not serving as an optimal asset for you and this company. I think that you hit the nail on the head with the beliefs in alignment. And sometimes it's you and you've changed. And sometimes the company has just decided that it wants to go in a different direction. And you have to do check-ins to see where you both are so that you're not caught underwear and then decide this is not the place for me. 
but I do like the idea of making yourself an asset in your environment and going out and acquiring new skills. You have a different lens of the business than you would had you just gotten an advanced degree in packaging, for example. When do you know when it's time to leave a job? When you're phoning it in, when you're on autopilot, when it's clear you're not going to get promoted, when you don't see any growth, if you have an abusive boss, or if you've been there for three years. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stay anywhere past three years. If you want to grow and you haven't grown in three years, you need to leave. And the thing is, you have to be your own advocate because people don't look out for you. It's very true. How do you go about being your own advocate? You know what I do? What I tell people, the advice I give people is, if you had a daughter, would you want her being treated this way? Or would you let her stand for this? Because I think there's a lot of things that you accept and sort of go along with because it's you and, you know, Black women. We're really good at absorbing some abuse and moving on. Like, we just carry the weight of the world on our shoulders and it needs to stop. And sometimes the only time you can see it clearly is if you stood outside of yourself and pretended it was happening to someone else. Like, would you allow your best friend, your daughter, your sister, what if your mom was in this position with a manager speaking to her the way yours does? Then you have to advocate the way you would advocate for your girl. And it's also about finding and using your voice. Yeah. You have a voice because you're using it in your work. But what about using that voice for yourself? Exactly. It's hard to do. Like, I mean, I was in my 30s before I knew how to speak up. It took me a while as well. But I also think that this generation is different from us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, because they have Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, and they're able to get their stuff out in a way that we weren't. We were very repressed in that way. Janice Stanford-Denusa gives us a really important insight on advocacy as a Black woman, representing for those inside the room as well as for consumers. As a Black woman in the beauty industry, I think that there's an expectation that you're sort of the spokesperson for the whole race. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times where I had a swath of like seven different foundations and moisturizers. I'm like, yeah, but I'm like this one skin. I'm like, this is my skin tone. I can't tell you how that's going to work on my sister who's several shades lighter, several shades darker, you know, just sort of, there is this skill set of sort of this level of advocacy that we have to do on behalf of the people that aren't in the room. But there's also the skill set of quiet tolerance because you will be tried and I have been tried. And I've always had to sort of do this internal conversation of, what's my face doing? Because there is a lot of messaging that's sort of bouncing around in my head and it may not necessarily be appropriate for the workplace, but I had to sort of be patient with the process. And I have to believe that there may be less need for that given where we are today because the code switch and sort of Let's not make waves and maybe there's a consideration of making other people feel uncomfortable. I think that we're in a really good place of sort of training our colleagues and into the future that, you know, I don't have to weigh and assess that as much as I had to in the early days of my career. Flexibility. 
is a superpower that you need. Karen Chambers, who is the executive vice president of Iman Cosmetics, talks about how flexibility is a critical skill set that you need in order to survive as the industry continues to evolve and how we can't get stuck in our old ways. Flexibility is probably my superpower, uh, especially nowadays. The industry has changed so much. It, it, it changed periodically when I first started, but particularly over the past five years, I think the uh, social media has shifted uh, so much. Uh, our, our online shopping habits versus primarily brick and mortar. There's so many avenues having to do with the digital world that has changed the industry. And so, uh, and, I, and I know some of my, my colleagues who are my age and older have had a challenge sometimes, you know, pivoting and, and kind of letting go of some old beliefs. I mean, back in, back in the day, Corinne, we, we used to try to dictate what the color of the moment is, for example. Like, oh, yeah, everything is about, you know, it's all about this deep burgundy or it's all about purple. You know, there's a color story that everybody followed because here's what's happening in Paris and here's what's happening in Italy or here's what's happening uh, wherever. And nowadays, that's all gone out the window. I mean, social media has made it far more uh, an environment in which we have to be more cognizant of what our consumers are doing because they are, are, are doing their thing. Like you mentioned, being the, being the, 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 the kitchen hairdresser, like, well, all of a sudden the kitchen hairdresser becomes the millionaire, you know, exactly. beca- because it, it, it has created this environment of cottage industry and, and also, and not just cottage industries, but having just everyday people become the professionals and become the experts. So if, if, if somebody is afraid of that or, or, or uh, you know, finds that intimidating, then they're going to have a problem because if you're not willing to listen to your customer and become peers almost with your customer, then you'll be stuck in another era. So flexibility has, I've learned so much over just the past, never mind five years, probably the past two years, because every time I've settled into, okay, this is how business is going. It's like, oh, take another turn, turn this way, turn that way. So I, I, I'd say that's the superpower. And if you have dreams of living and working abroad, Indy Jill Jackson and Thomasina Boone share some key insights on the job search, corporate culture, and adjusting to languages known and unknown. I decided in February 2017 that I wanted to live abroad again. So on April 1st, I started applying. I was first applying in England, and then I sort of branched out to an old intern of mine who was working at Sony in Sweden. And she said, you know, we don't have any roles right now, but if you really want to get to Europe quickly, you should apply in Germany because Germany, they love native English speakers that are American because they think that British English is a bit too formal and American English is more laid back. And I was like, hmm, I've been to Germany. I don't love Germany, but sure. And literally a week later, I started applying and I got tons of interviews. And I ended up accepting a role at a global fashion brand. That role got rescinded because they had a bad Q2. So I had to start applying again. And I ended up getting an offer in October. So from what, April to October, what is that, like seven months, six months? So that's pretty good when you're interviewing overseas. You should expect to 
get an offer between six months to 12 months. If you're doing it diligently and taking it serious and taking care of your cover letters and keywording your resume and not using a blanket resume, that's really important in Europe for some reason. It's a nuance that Americans really don't pick up on. So if you are thinking about going to Europe, make sure you take care of that with your CV. It's important for Americans to explain what the company does on your CV slash resume, just because they might not automatically know. Something that's a household brand name over here isn't always that over there. It might be something that they've never heard of. You might have the exact qualifications for the job, but if you're not articulating that correctly, they'll pass you by. So what, in terms of the difference between working in the U.S. and working abroad, Are there differences in like company culture? Yes, so much difference. In America, at least in New York, I'd say it's every person for themselves as far as work is concerned. You come to work, you maybe work through lunch at your desk, you maybe hang out after after hours with your colleagues. No big deal if you don't. In Europe, it's expected that you eat lunch together at the same time. And I was used to taking lunch maybe three or four o'clock. In Europe, they take lunch at like 11 or 12 sharp. They're very serious about it. On the flip side, they're also super serious about quitting time. 4.59, people are clocking out and wrapping up and putting on their coats and all going down to the pub together. So, And you're expected to do that with them, correct? Yes. So if you're an introvert or if you have a hard time sort of making friends, you kind of got to get out of that. Right. Fake it till you make it. Right. Social skills seem to be an important, not only your professional skills, but your social skills. You have to adjust them to make it there. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting. What unsung skill do you think you need to succeed working in abroad and working in content creation? I think it's really important to have a stern point of view, but be able to present it in a way that's super flexible, meaning that decisions aren't made on the fly here. I know in America, at least with editorial, it's a very fail fast kind of concept. Let's just try it and see if it works. No big deal if it doesn't. Failure is taken very seriously or more seriously in Europe. So you have to really have a strong point of view and you have to get all of the stakeholders on board. Everybody has to accept it for you to move forward with an idea. The way that I've learned to get around that is I present multiple copy options And then everybody just chooses their favorite. That way I don't have to keep going back and refining things. I've already done all of the work up front. They choose their favorite one. If it doesn't work, let's A-B test and swap something else in. And it takes me literally five seconds because I'd already done the work before. So what is the thing just about living abroad that you should prepare yourself for if that is something on your wish list? Wow, that's a big question because... We've traveled a lot, but the one thing that I was too comfortable in is English. It was my assumption that wherever we went, that English is universal, and that if you did go to an English-speaking country, that we all speak English the same. And that was a false positive for me because I'm, you know, asking people something in my version of English, and they're not understanding anything that I'm saying. And that was hard. It might have been better to go to a country that I didn't speak the language because then I would have to learn it. But this was a comfort that wasn't comfortable. So now I don't have products that I can use 
skincare that I would definitely, you know, take on, you know, makeup and stuff that I can't find. And I can't even speak the language. So that mindset, once I've treated myself as, okay, maybe I don't know the language the way I think I do, and just open myself up, there was another adjustment. But that first year was like, what are the words that are coming out of your mouth, people? Like they said to me, it was parents, and they was they talking to me, and they was like, yeah, Tommy, we're going to have a play day with some prezzies in the Avo. Is Avo avocado? What is Avo? And what are prezzies? Prezzies are presents. We're going to bring some presents, and um, we're going to have a play date in the afternoon. Why you ain't just say afternoon? What's Avo? I would have been lost too. Oh, yes. So people, this is something you better keep in mind if you're thinking about moving to an English-speaking country. <laughs> Just your mind. Don't think you know English. I was too firm in my thought in English. I'm from Harlem. I know English. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 